Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you particularly for bringing the church into this building this morning. For those of us that are gathered here, we have faced a season of adversity for gathering itself in these last few months. And that in itself has made for a season of refining for us as a church, of refining, refining and reflection. I, I hope you've thought about it. I hope you've reflected as we've gone through that season of adversity where we're not even allowed to gather and now we're gathering again. Some of you are here for the first time in, in over a year. Some of you are, are not gathered yet, considering gathering still. But it's something on our mind, and it's, a, it's an opportunity for us for not only reflection, but also refinement. And refinement, that, that means that the bad stuff gets burned up. You know, all the, all the wood, hay, and stubble. It, it means that the good stuff is left. And we have so much to be thankful for in gathering. But we also have so much to repent of in gathering. And may the Lord guide us and help us in a season of opportunity an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to consider our gathering and why it is that we do so as we've been examining from this text these last few weeks. We gather for awe, or God gathers us to himself, first of all, for, for awe, that we would stand in awe of him, that we would be filled with awe and it would humble us in his presence. We can't worship or gather without that. And we gather for service as we looked last week also. We have been served by God in Christ. And how could we gather together in that place of, of receiving all that God serves us in Christ and not serve one another? And so today in this last portion of, of the text, still on this opportunity for reflection on gathering, and speak of we gather to be renewed. We need each Lord's Day to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Do you know what it, <laughs> do you know that, that spirit of your mind? It, it's speaking of a, of, of a disposition that we live in. That, that's our mind. That, that's the spirit of our mind. It's a condition, a, a state of being that, that we are in. In other words, the, the gathering and all of the, the ways in which we, we participate in things that we gather. It's more than just the participating in receiving and, and information. And we, we need something that, that affects that disposition, that state of being where we are in our condition to be renewed in the spirit of our minds is so significant. We read earlier from the Psalms and pray, Lord, would you incline my heart? Margaret led us in that, to which we responded, Lord, grant us life. Renew us. But incline our hearts. You see how... how significant that is for the gathering of God's people, not just that we would know all the things that are true about God, know all the things that God has called us to in Christ, but that we would have an inclination of heart. <laughs> that we would be changed, that we would be renewed in our being, in our minds. 
And that's something that needs constant renewal. See, all of us are capable, sadly capable. I am as well. As believing Christians, in other words, we, we, we believe it all to be true. And yet to exist in a state of mind, to exist in a disposition, to exist in an attitude that leads us to thoughts about one another, about the world, to leads us to words that aren't, as Paul describes here, building up for, as it fits the occasion and grace to those who hear. And deeds that are, are not honoring for our Lord. And so we gather for the renewing of our mind. I'm going to identify from this text a couple of very practical examples of how our minds need to be renewed. Two simple ways that I think flow from the text and how our minds need to, need to be renewed. And then also show from the text how exactly we can expect that renewal of our minds to happen. So not just that it needs to happen, but how does it happen? In the text to summarize Paul's words in a very broad way, he calls us to walk away from something and he calls us to walk to something. He calls us to walk away from the world. Stop participating in those patterns. There's, there's darkness there. There's futility in their thinking. You need to walk away from that. And then he put off that old self. He doesn't just say like those people. He says like you used to be. And then he calls us to something. And not only put on, off the old self, but put on the new self. There's, there, there's not something only that we're called from. There's something that we're called to. And what we're called to is, is all of those gospel-saturated relationships that have to do with our attitude towards one another as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our words toward one another, and our ability to put off of our stuff and love one another and to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that is why the renewal of the mind is so important. Because we may know that we need to put off the world and we may know that we need to love one another, but we need the courage, that state of mind. We need the disposition. We need that, that, that state of being that's called courage to say, yes, I will do that. I will actually do what I know is right and to possess the courage to do it. See, that, that is a state of being. That is a state of mind. That is a disposition of which we need to be renewed in all of the time. And the same thing goes for all of the things that we're called to put on, all the things that we're called to be. It requires a certain disposition, more than just information about what we, what we know we're supposed to do. It requires an inclination of the heart, a renewal of the mind to say, yes, I will submit to all of that. And so here's the main point that I'd like to work through today, that we need courage. That's a disposition. That's a state of being. And it's the opposite of fear. It's the opposite of cowardice. It's the opposite of indifference. Courage is, is something that we need in the renewal of our minds constantly to walk away from the world and its futility of the, and its patterns of thinking that Christ calls us from. And then we need the renewal of the mind for submission. See, that also is a condition of our, of our state of being. It is the opposite of obstinacy. It's the opposite of stiff-neckedness. It's the opposite of selfishness. 
And it comes from the renewal of our mind. Those are the two practical examples of the renewal of our mind. Courage to leave the world and submission to put on all that God calls us to put on in Christ. So first of all, renewal of the mind for courage. As Paul calls us to walk away from the patterns of the world that he calls futile. See, worldly patterns of thought, thinking, and behavior are, are futile, Paul says. Isn't that an interesting word? Futility. Think about it for a minute. Who wants to participate in futility? Do you like futility? You would think that it would only take common sense to walk away from futility. And there is a lot of common sense in walking away from futility, but it requires a lot more. It takes a lot of courage. And the reason it's futile is because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. A society doesn't work. A home doesn't work. A marriage doesn't work. A relationship doesn't work. A friendship doesn't work. When we're being schooled in darkness, hardness of heart, alienated and ignorant of God, it doesn't work. (laughs) But it takes more than pragmatics. It takes a disposition of our mind to resolve, have the courage to walk away. Let me explain why I believe it takes courage to leave the world and its patterns of thinking and why we need the renewal of our minds to to have that courage. To part ways with the world is easy to say, but it's harder to do. It's easy to say, yeah, I'm going I'm to leave the patterns of thinking. I'm going to leave that futility. It only makes common sense after all. It's not a place where, where people thrive, living as God intended us for to live with all of his, his wisdom. It's easy to say, but it actually takes a lot of courage to do because there is a lot at stake in drawing that line and saying, no, I won't participate in that way of thinking anymore. No, I won't go along with that patterns of of living anymore. There's a lot at stake. Perhaps you've experienced it. There's friendships at stake. There's family at stake. Sometimes there's income at stake. God help those who have those significant decisions and in places of influence and places of responsibility, places of of education, and yet their very existence in those workplaces as a believer who's willing to say, no, I won't participate in that pattern of thinking, jeopardizes their very job. There's a lot at stake. Reputation. And the world can be both hostile and ostracizing to those who do not part, or to those who do, rather, part rank with it. You ever experienced that? You're not arrogant. You're not condescending. You're not condemning. You simply say, no, that's, that's not the way I think. 
And the response is, who do you think you are? (laughs) You self-righteous, arrogant, hypocrite, you. And if we are that, then of course we need to repent. (laughs) I had Andrew read from Daniel chapter 3 for this very reason. What an exemplary of courage. Say, no, we're not going to bow down and worship your God. Even if, even if God doesn't keep us safe, even if God doesn't protect us, worshiping your idol isn't an option for us. That's a disposition. That's a, that's a state of being. That's an inclination of the mind that not only knew what was true, but was prepared to act on what was true. And those are two different things. And Nebuchadnezzar's response is significant. Oh, that's okay. I don't mind if you don't bow down to my idol. You know, it it was just a suggestion after all. You know, really, you can worship whatever you want. Because he was furious. Make the fire hotter, he said. Make it hotter. Throw them into it. In a furious rage. You see, these men, these three young men, weren't looking for trouble. They weren't boycotting and marching around the idol with placards that said, no idols, ban the idol, down with Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't looking for trouble. Trouble came and found them simply because they were being faithful. And that's true of us as well. Not looking for trouble. You're not going around condemning people, speaking, oh man, you you know, you really oughtn't to be doing that. But trouble isn't something that we look for, but trouble comes to find us. It finds us in the lunchroom. You're not in the lunchroom going on and on about what you believe, but yet you won't participate in the strife that's there. See, those are patterns of thinking that that I'm simply not going to participate in. You're not talking to your golf buddies on the green about all that they need to do and be, and yet when something comes up and you go, you know what, I love my wife, and I'm not going to talk down on marriage or woman. It's a pattern of thinking that I'm not going to participate in. Of course, you don't say that. But you just, it's a choice. And it takes courage. There's a lot at stake. Family. It's the same thing. Christmas time. Things that people believe. Things that people say. Things that are triggers in your home. You're not looking for the trouble. But trouble comes to find you. And it takes courage. Paul read off the top of the service from the Psalms that God protects us. It gives us a place of protection from the strife of tongues. Isn't that an awful thing? Isn't the strife of tongues horrific? And if that's our goal in life, I'm never going to face that. (laughs) No, our goal in life is to be Godward through Christ. Come what may. And sometimes it is the strife of tongues. And the Lord keeps us safe. Proverbs 29, 27 got my attention this week reading through a proverb a day that says that The way of the righteous is an abomination to the wicked. That's an unsettling thing. You you resolve through the renewing of your mind to to live in in a righteous way and leave the patterns of the thinking of the world and you become an abomination to people. You don't ask for it. You don't try to earn it. 
but you become an abomination to them. And Luke 9, 26, Jesus speaks of the importance of not being ashamed of him. He came into this world and he bore so much shame in order that we would be called his children. And he says, you must not be ashamed of the Son of Man. For when he comes in his glory with his holy angels, he will also be ashamed of you. I'd like to stop for prayer. One of our elders, Rick, is going to come and lead us in prayer in just a moment. I'm a big fan of using the time that we have to do the things that we really need to do. So it would be easy to say, you know, you really ought to pray about this sometime. And instead, I'm going to say, let's stop and pray. And Rick's going to read through a few scriptures. They'll be on the screen. And it's for our reflection. And then lead us in a brief prayer, and then I'll work through point two. Okay? The beauty of God is that he knows each of us intimately. He knows those things that we need renewing in of heart, mind, body, and soul. And what a place to take these things to. As we read the word, as we pray, uh, just think about that. The promises of God, the providence of God, the intercession of Christ, the intercession of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Those things that need renewing that you can take before him and have such confidence in. I come before you with seriousness, but also with joy, because this is a place we can go to to experience true renewal. So let's read through the passages, and then we'll spend a moment in prayer together. From Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Proverbs 24, 10. If you faint in the day adversity, of adversity, your strength is small. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's our intention to come before you now with humble hearts. Our desire is not to grieve our Holy Spirit with whom we're sealed for the day of redemption. That we would confess our sins before you, Lord. Confess those things that we've held back from you. That we take them to you now. That we would be forgiving of others just as you've forgiven us. And Lord, we would trust in you. We lean not in in our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge you, and you would make our path straight. Lord, help us not to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Out of our submission to you, out of our obedience, out of our just wonder, in the grace and the mercy that you've extended to us, dear God. And Lord, I pray that we be amazed by the fact that you never leave us nor forsake us. That we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me?
Oh, Lord, would you help us to be reminded of this confidence as we read the word, as we pray, as we interact with one another, as we see the works of your hand in our life, what you've done in our past, what you do today, and what you will do tomorrow, Lord. And we give great thanks. It would cause us to be obedient servants, to be renewed in mind and spirit and body and soul. And this would be a great pleasure to you, God, a great glorifying of your name. And that we would encourage one another to do so. Thank you now for your word, for this time of prayer. And just continue to remind us of the things that you're asking us to be renewed in. In your precious name, Christ. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Renewal for submission. Just like fear is sometimes a condition of our mind uh, and we need courage, so also obstinacy is the condition of our mind. And we need renewal. We need the renewal of our mind for submission. Stubbornness is a real state of mind from which we need constant deliverance and the renewal of our mind to submission. Verses 25 through 32 of our text are are a list of things that Christ calls us to in our relationships, all of which require a renewed mind a renewed mind that simply has the capacity to let stuff go. That's a state of being. That, that, that's a disposition to say, I'm willing to let it go. My perceptions of people, my attitudes towards people, my experiences with people, my feelings towards people. And we need more than simply information about what God calls us to in those relationships. We need a renewing of our mind that gives us that submission. Ever tell a four-year-old who's having fun at seven o'clock at night that it's time to go to bed? And you're not quite sure what's gonna happen. You see, it all has to do with their state of mind, their inclination, their, their disposition. Sometimes it's an immediately immediate falling on the floor in protest. I'll have nothing of this. And sometimes in shock and bewilderment, bewilderment, you say it's time to go to bed, and they say, "Okay," and they run off to their bedroom. You go, "Wow!" <laughs> and the Christians are just like that. They say, "You know, you need to let that go." Those words aren't helpful. Those attitudes aren't helpful. And you're, 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 you're looking, you're depending upon getting that person, not safely into bed, but safely into the path of what Christ calls us to. But there is still that, that disposition of the mind. And sometimes you can tell they're not having nothing of it. Because that's the state of their being. And that's why we so much need renewal in our minds that gives us that capacity to submit and makes it possible 
for all of the things that God calls us to do, to not to be false to one another as this text works through, to not hold on to our anger well beyond sunset or even into the next day, to not steal from one another or to tear one another down with our words, to use words that are not corrupt, that are grace to those who hear. Those things all require the renewal of our minds to a place of submission. And praise the Lord. That's exactly what the gospel does. You see, the church isn't just a place of human manipulation. It's not just a place of a religious club. It's a place where the Spirit of God lives upon people, breathes in people, as we sang this morning, breathe on me, breath of God. And it actually alters us, and it, and it renews us in our mind, and it brings us to a place that we have no capacity to get there on our own. But that's all for the glory of God. And it is a glory that he is due. Stubbornness is tragic. I know because I've I've participated in it. It affects relationships. It affects intimacy. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. The question is how? My favorite question. How does it work, Barry? How is it that our mind is is renewed to replace fear with courage and to replace obstinacy with submission and stubbornness with submission? There has to be something more, as I said, than just a a bigger club, (laughs) a bigger club of religion. There has to be something more than simply manipulating people's guilt or their shame. There has to be something more than simply appealing to people's reputation and their sense of pride. You know, you really ought to be better than that. What will people think of you? There has to be something more. And I believe Paul puts his finger on that exactly. Then the way to renew in our mind in verse 20 when he speaks of, you have not learned Christ this way. It's a bit of a different word than, say, simply you've believed in Christ and you have believed in Christ. You've trusted in Christ and and you do. You trust in Christ, but it's a slightly different word. He says you haven't learned Christ. See, in Christ we receive more than only deliverance. We also receive an education. And it's the same for people in the world. They don't just live in darkness. They're schooled in darkness. And it's the same with us. We don't only come to Christ, we're schooled in Christ. Not just delivered, but educated on everything that God would have us know. But all of it comes from learning Christ. And we're in the world so much and around darkness so much that there is always the capacity or the temptation for us to be learning darkness. In contrast in this text, Paul says, you need to be learning Christ. That is why we gather. We gather to, to learn Christ. I, I, I marvel at all that I learn week by week and renewed in my mind through it simply by having Christ set before me. I'm reading through the book of Deuteronomy right now for the Old Testament history portion of my daily Bible reading and, and reminded of how the people of Israel also were not merely only delivered from Egypt 
in being delivered from Egypt, they were educated <laughs> in everything that God wanted them to know. And the law later on given to them was simply a, a, a further exposition and explanation of all of the things that they had already experienced in their deliverance. They were delivered by God, but they were also schooled on God. Schooled in his, on his greatness and his majesty and, and, and his glory. They were schooled on themselves when they were delivered from Egypt. As Moses says to the people in Deuteronomy 24, he says, your father, that's Abraham, your father was a wandering Aramean. <laughs> that's who your father was. A wandering Aramean. In other words, they were schooled in the fact that you're nothing special except that God chose by his mercy to put his name upon you. They were schooled in, the, in who they are. They were schooled in the world around them. That the, to bow down to the idols of the world was completely futile because they're just wood and stone as they were demonstrated to them in their deliverance and God's power over all the idols of Egypt. And they were schooled in how to live and treat one another. In Deuteronomy 24, Moses says this to the people. He says, you were a slave. You were treated harshly. So don't treat the sojourner that way. <laughs> don't treat the slave that way. You yourselves were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God delivered you. And if Israel was not only delivered but schooled, how much more so are we not only delivered by Christ, but schooled in Christ? We learn Christ. We learn so much about the glory of God in Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. We learn so much about ourselves and our need for redemption and all that Christ was, all that was necessary in Christ's sacrifice and death in order to redeem us and cleanse us. We learn so much about the world in Christ and its futility. And we learn so much about how to live and how to treat one another. Proverbs 28, I think it is, verse 5, says that evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand justice thoroughly. Isn't that interesting? You want to learn about justice? It's a trigger word in our culture right now for sure. Then seek Christ. Seek to, to learn in Christ. Be in the school of Christ. And you will learn justice. But if we learn justice, then how much more do we learn courage? How much more do we learn mercy? How much more do we learn submission? Than learning Christ. If we are learning Christ, our minds cannot possibly be unchanged. And that is why our worship, as we gather each Lord's Day, is obsessed with Christ. That's why we talk about Jesus so much, because it is in the school of Christ that our minds are renewed is also vitally connected to another phrase that Paul uses in the text, which is this. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And I could take a lot of time explaining this, but I'm simply going to give a definition of what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
This is what I believe it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. It means to withhold anything from Christ that rightfully belongs to him. Anything that rightfully belongs to Jesus and we withhold it is a grievance to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is given in order that Christ would be magnified and glorified, that Christ would be made big, that we would see him for all that he is and all that he is worthy of. And so I hope you can see that courage, the renewal of our mind for courage to leave the world and to risk the ire of the world is a worship that rightfully belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him. He rightfully owns our courage. And to deny him what rightfully belongs to him is a grieving of the Spirit. He's not ashamed to call us his children. And so we must not be ashamed of him before men. The submission to live in relationships with one another that have integrity, that have a congruency. It's one of my favorite words, a, a congruency. As Paul says, that to, to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see the congruency? We're treated this way. We treat others that way. It's integrity. That kind of submission to live, walk in that integrity, to, to be able to let go of our stuff is a worship that rightfully belongs to Christ because he is our head and he is the one who has made us to be one people. Would you please pray with me? Lord God Almighty, help us to learn in Christ the love of God for us Help us to constantly be schooled, I pray, that our hearts would overflow the knowledge of the love of God that you have for us. And may, Lord, our minds be renewed and may they be, be stirred to have all of the courage that requires us to, to walk away from all that you would have us walk away from. Not as proud people, not as self-righteous people, but as people who understand our calling. Lord, help us to also to learn of your mercy for us in God. And Lord, help us to submit to all of the ways that you call us to be merciful to one another. And I pray that this glory would exist in the church, that we would not find gloom in this, but that we would find joy in this. To be able to receive all that you call us to and to receive your strength to do so and to trust that you are glorified in and through it. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.